All right, so let's quickly read 1 John chapter 4 and beginning with verse 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit and we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. I could have read on further, but I will leave the Bible reading there. It's been a joy, hasn't it, for us this morning to witness the baptism of the various ten individuals that have undergone baptism this morning. Uh, we've been reliably informed that we also have a number of friends. I think this was part of my company some might be distributed in the congregation uh, from the SOS village, children's village, uh, who came to see their friends being baptized as well. And obviously it's encouraging to anybody to hear the testimonies of the various ways in which God brings us as individuals to himself in repentance and faith. It goes a long way to confirm the message, the central message of the Bible, uh, which has been the theme this morning, and it is that Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. And thankfully, it ties in pretty well with the verse that we are looking at this morning, which is First uh, John 4 and verse 14. Uh, John says there, and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. That's really what we've been hearing here. Individual after individual saying, I was once in sin and the Lord in various circumstances of my life brought me to my knees before the cross and having seen what God has done to bring about my salvation, I cried to the Lord Jesus Christ, and he has consequently saved me. You can be sure that in those brief words lie the testimonies of so many individuals that are presently within the context of this auditorium. We've been looking at First John for a number of months, if not years now, and uh, we are currently in this long section, uh, beginning with chapter 3, verse 11, all the way to chapter 4, and up to its end, dealing with the subject of love as an essential component of proving that we are God's children. Love. In other words, when God saves you, he puts a new love in your heart. 
something like his own love. And invariably, therefore, you develop a love especially for God's people, God's children. But more than that, a love for the world as well, the perishing world. And therefore, you would stop being a self-centered individual and instead you become a person who constantly wants to bless others, not just materially, but much more than that, to bless them spiritually. And that's what John is, is dealing with here. But as we noted last time, he's taken a, a few steps backwards and began to deal with the, the foundation of this love in our individual lives. He puts it in verse 13 this way. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. In other words, the work of the spirit in our hearts is what causes us to be a loving people. But he, steps, he takes another step backwards. Because why has the Holy Spirit been sent into the world? Well, it's because Jesus has died. He's gone to heaven. And having gone to heaven, he has sent the Holy Spirit to come into the world, to come into our hearts. But this Jesus, in dying and going to heaven, is fulfilling something. And that's what we are seeing in verse 14. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. That's the second step he has taken. The first was to say, it's the Holy Spirit who produces this love. The second step has been to say, it is the Father who has sent the Son to die for us and as a result of that, the Son now sends the Spirit to bring about this glorious salvation. Three things I want us to see from this verse that speaks about God sending his Son. The first is that Christianity is experiential. Christianity is testifiable. It is in the context where you can say, I know. And hence, John speaks here in terms of we. Verse 14, and we have seen and testify. In other words, he is saying, I'm not simply giving you the fruit of my own philosophizing as I was in my own home, thinking about what life could be all about. No, 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 no. I've actually experienced something as I have been living. I have seen something, or better still, someone as I have been living. And it is this person who I want to speak about. If you were with us as we're looking at chapter 1, of 1st John, you will know that he has already dealt with something like this. 1st John chapter 1 and the first four verses. Listen to this. <clears throat> that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, 
which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim or we testify also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Clearly there we see that John began his epistle this way. Because he wanted the churches that would receive this letter to once again be reminded of the essential nature of the Christian faith. That these individuals are coming to speak about something that is in the context of their fellowship, their own fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as I said in those days, not everybody who saw Jesus, not everybody who touched Jesus ended up getting saved. They didn't. There were individuals like Herod, individuals like Pilate, and other individuals who, yes, they met Jesus, but in the end, they were not saved by him. And so when he's speaking in terms of that which we have seen and so on, let's realize that it is not merely a physical experience. The spirit of the living God had to convince them that there's something special, there's something unique concerning this person that you have, are having dealings with. And hence, they yielded their lives to him as their Lord and their Savior. The Spirit of God played a role. And friends, that is what enables us to bring that reality into today's world. In other words, Christianity is still testifiable today. You may not, as an individual, have seen Jesus physically. That doesn't matter. Because ultimately, seeing him physically only took place over 33 years in the period that he was on earth. What matters, however, is this. Has the Holy Spirit opened your eyes, your spiritual eyes, so that you too can speak in terms of, I know, I have met the Lord Jesus Christ spiritually. He has washed away my sins spiritually. He has changed my heart spiritually. Are you able to speak in those terms? Because, as I've already said, Christianity is not a mere philosophy that is in the context of speculation. 
It is in the realm of experience. It is grounded in experience. And that's the reason why Christianity is unstoppable across history. It is because those who are genuine, true Christians are people who can say, I met Jesus and he saved me from my sins. And so when people are saying you deny him, they are able to answer, deny who? How can I deny someone I've met? How? How can I deny someone who has saved me from sins? He's washed away my sins. He's changed my heart. Should I be telling lies? Should I start telling lies? I can't. Because this is real. So let me ask you this morning. Can you speak about Jesus that way? Can you? And I'm not speaking about some dream where you saw some man coming to you with nail prints in his hands and speaking to you with a halo on his head. I'm not speaking about those hypothetical, hyper-spiritual experiences. I'm talking about by faith. As we're hearing from the baptismal candidates, that there was this heavy load they were carrying, this burden of guilt, of sin, until one day, perhaps kneeling by their bedside, they prayed to Jesus Christ. They cried to Jesus Christ, and he saved them from their sin. Do you have such a testimony? The Lord Jesus Christ once spoke in terms of what's going to happen on the judgment day. He says, not all who say, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. He said, on that day, many will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name, cast out demons. And do many miracles. And this is what Jesus says will be his response. I will say to them, get away from me. I never knew you. You worker of iniquity. In other words, you are still a sinner. Two things there. The reason why he says get away from me. Number one. I never knew you. We never met on earth. There was no actual experience of savior and sinner meeting. That never happened. And then he ends by saying, you still died in your sins and you know it. You know it. I'm not denying the many things you may have done in the context of the church. But you and me never met. So here's my question. Can you honestly say that while you've been living here on earth, you have met the Lord Jesus? 
Oh, the Lord Jesus Christ has met you. Can you honestly say that? And I want to assure you that although you are in this great crowd, Jesus knows those whom he has met. He knows them by name. They've called upon him to save them. And he has saved them individually. So don't think that hiding in a crowd like this, Jesus will simply say, well, everybody who came to church, come, come, come into the kingdom. No, you should be able to say, I have met him and I can testify of it. I can testify. Can you? Can you? Now look at the testimony very briefly here. The testimony is that God, verse 14, that the father has sent his son. The father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Now that's important as well. Because you see, that draws the, the boundary between the many people that met Jesus and are still in hell, even right now, and those who met him and have gone to heaven. It is, what is it about him that impacted them the most? It is this. He was sent to be a savior. The savior of the world. Now many of us go through Sunday school. And we learn a lot of lessons about uh, Abraham. We learn lessons about David, such as the bad news we've learned about today. We've learned lessons about Solomon, about Moses, parting the Red Sea. We've learned so many lessons from the Bible. We've also learned lessons about Jesus Christ, such as him walking on water, dividing bread and giving the bread to thousands and thousands of people, including his very death and his resurrection. We've learned all those lessons. But for some reason, in the midst of all that we have learned about him, we seem to have missed the most important lesson, and it is this, that he came as a savior to save us from our sins. That's what we've missed. We've learned so much, but for some reason, and I know the reason why, it's because we are all born spiritually blind. We have failed to recognize that the most important reality concerning this Jesus is that the Father sent him into the world to be the savior of the world. It's like, if I could use an example, you know, in this church we have a number of individuals who are medical doctors. And they can be with you sitting on the same pew. You may even greet them on the outside as you are now heading back home. And when someone asks you the question, what does that guy do? He's, oh, yeah, he's, he's a medical doctor. But, but for some reason, it doesn't hit you that actually 
that ache that you have in your body, you should talk to him about it. It doesn't hit you. Until it's too late, you die. And then when people find out that you had this long-term illness in you, and then they find out that you never spoke to the very doctors that you were having fellowship with in a church, they shake their heads. They even ask the question, but didn't he, I'm talking about someone in a coffin now, didn't he know that these people were doctors? Yes, but for some reason, it doesn't click that I can speak to this person and and get counsel and advice and and in due season the illness is diagnosed and and medication is consequently recommended. That's the way it was with Jesus. He he was here on earth and imagine he meets with a person like like Herod. And all the guys are asking is, uh, you know, let's see you do a miracle. Pilate. He's simply saying, do you know that I have the power to release you or to to have you crucified? Come on. You're looking the Savior in the face. Humble yourself on the fact that you are a slave of sin and call upon him, Jesus. This is the greatest opportunity any human can have to meet with you. Please, please save me from my sin. That's what the tax collectors did. That's what the prostitutes did. That's what so many other sinners did. They fell before him and said, save me. And yet he meets so many others and they seem to know so many other things about him. I hear you did this and I hear you did the other. And the biggest issue about him is what they obviously completely overlook that he has been sent by the Father into the world with but one primary role to save the world. To save the world. And consequently, Jesus came and Jesus went. They met with him, but they never asked him to save them from their sin. Again, I want to ask you the same question. You know a lot about Jesus. You probably can pass your religious education exams at school. But here's the question. The multi-million dollar question. Have you realized that this Jesus was sent into this world to save sinners like you. Have you realized it? Have you realized it sufficiently to recognize that those sins in your heart, he has come to cure you of them. That anger that that explodes so often, And has caused you to lose so many friends and perhaps thrown you into quarrels and fights. That sexual passion 
that you have failed to control and consequently it has led you into fornication and adultery in numerous times. That greed for money that causes you to lie and to defraud and to, to corrupt others and to, to bribe and be bribed. That actually he came to save you from that. Yes. He came to change your heart. And it doesn't matter who you are. I'll come back to that in a moment. But that's why he came. And therefore, you don't need to continue in sin. Because although he died, he rose again from the dead. He is alive forevermore. You can call upon him. And he will gladly come into your heart and life because that's why the Father sent him. He sent him to be a savior of the world. Call upon him and be saved by him. And that little phrase with which I want to end when he says the savior of the world is deliberate. Because you see, John was writing to a largely Jewish contingent. And Jews often thought that this religion of Jehovah is for us. It's not for, for Gentiles. It's for us. Us, the special people of God. What this verse is basically saying is no, it's not just for you. The Jews is the savior of the world, the world. In other words, Gentiles too. Or to put it another way, anybody. Anyone who recognizes they are in sin and recognize that that life of sin is leading them to hell forever, Jew or Gentile they can come to him and they will be saved. Our friends who have undergone baptism today, is this your testimony? Now I know Pastor Swali repeated various testimonies, but I still want to ask you because it's very easy to put something on a piece of paper. It's something else to be able to say, I know, I know. I was a sinner lost in sin. One day I met the Savior by faith and I cried to him. He has since saved me. Is that really true of you? Because if it's not, I still want to implore you that you need to still call upon Jesus Christ that he may save you. And when he saves you, you will know you've met the Savior. You can testify of it. You will genuinely, from your heart, be able to tell your friends, Jesus saves because he has saved me. Because if this is not true of you, all that has happened this morning is that you've just been made 
from being a dry sinner into a wet sinner. And after using the towel, you went back into being a dry sinner again. That's all that has happened. Because you've not experienced salvation, Jesus really saves. But may I end with all of us, and plead with all of us, Christianity is real. It's testifiable. It's as awkward for a person who says, well, you know, I'm not sure, but I, I really hope so. It's as awkward as saying to a friend you met a long time ago, Mwana, are you married? And he says, well, so I'm not too sure. <laughs> and that's madness, isn't it? Because a wedding is real, it's testifiable. You look somebody in the face and you say, I do. You know I've married. But of course, if you sort of just moved in with the guy, and first of all, you left your toothbrush there, the next time you left your comb there, and next time after a while, over a period of one year, finally you stopped going back to your flat, now that just living there, because most of your clothes have moved there. Yes! If they ask you if you are married, you, you said, well, I, I hope so. And that's not Marriage. Anybody will tell you, then you are not married. Because marriage is real, it's testifiable. You enter into a covenant relationship for life. Has that happened between you and Jesus? Have you met him? Can you testify of it? That God the Father sent his son into the world to save sinners. And guess what? He has saved me. He's the savior of the world, but above all, he's my savior. If you can't say it that way, even today, even now, as you are in that pew, you can cry to Jesus to save you. And it will be written in heaven that this day, the 3rd of April, 2016, this person met Jesus. Jesus saved him. He saved her. He washed the person off their sins. He changed their hearts. And that will guarantee you a place in heaven. Or don't go out of this place without pleading with the Lord Jesus Christ to meet with you and to save you. Amen.